Hi everyone, and welcome to this edition um, of the Ale of a Time podcast. I really sympathise with Luke's plight of recording and re-recording introductions, because I've just had a go at recording a cover myself, and everything that I said sounded awful, and I wish that I was somebody else when I was listening back to them. So I figured I would just jump into the details of the uh, episode, and then we can all move on with our lives. So I'll be recording um, uh, on site from the lead-up dinner to the, for the Australian National Homebrews Conference, which is being held in Canberra in October this year. Uh, and this dinner is going to be a lot of fun with a lot of interesting people around. So um, this will be a good episode. The dinner itself um, is going to pair beers from brewers the likes of uh, Hendo, Brewcult, uh, Simon Haylock from Red Hill, uh, Ian Morgan from Three Ravens, and Sam Slaney from Thunder Road, and they'll be um, matched up with uh, dishes prepared by uh, Brendan Sheldrick, who's the head chef at the Rosetta Restaurant at the Crown Complex here in Melbourne. So uh, I'll try and get around to uh, talk to all of those guys, as well as um, some others, uh, but due to time constraints of the evening, we may not get to everyone, but we'll see how we go. Hello everyone, I'm here with Jeff White, who's uh, emceeing this event. How are you, Jeff? I'm very well this evening. That's the way. Now, um, I just want to, this is the first uh, instalment of this podcast here, so just give us a bit of a background about the dinner um, associated with the, uh, with the conference. Um, the, the dinner is um, a bit of an offshoot that we do. Uh, initially, when we launched the uh, conference in Melbourne, it was um, part of the conference itself. So conference goers could come to the food and beer pairing dinner as part of their conference package, or they could elect to just come independently. Um, and this year's a little bit different because the conference is going to be held in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are kind of flying solo here with this Melbourne pairing dinner. And, you know, we sort of rolled the dice with this one and, and we hoped that we'd be able to get enough interest and get enough people on board to you know come down to Melbourne and um, spend the evening with us. I guess the concern was that a lot of the brewers would be sort of sinking their cash in this big sort of interstate trip, the folks from Melbourne, uh, to get up to the conference, conference tickets, accommodation, travel, and that they may say, hey, look, I don't have the extra $100. It's actually 95 for this dinner. So, Yeah, that's fair enough. So um, has Brendan prepared the food before in recent years? Uh, Brendan Sheld- yeah. Sheld- Sheldrick? That's uh, right. No, no, he hasn't. Um, he, he hasn't worked with us uh, before. He Brendan's actually a really keen home brewer, and it was through coming into Grain and Grape and buying ingredients that he got to talking to John Preston, and John um, sort of caught wind that he was a chef and told him a little bit about what we do, and um, it's just been great. It's, it's, a, it's actually amazing to find a chef of his caliber. He's at such a high level. Um, so impressive. His execution and his choice uh, in the menu this year is just outstanding. So um, we're a bit scared for future years. You know, how are we going to find someone that is as uh, amazing as Brendan is? That's a valid concern, if, if, yeah. there, if there has to be a concern, I guess. And does someone like uh, Brendan increase the interest in the standalone dinner, do you think? That's a really good question. Um, it, it depends on our 
target market, and I have to admit that our target market has been uh, home brewers primarily because we're associated with ANHC, and then also the committee members that are involved. I mean, we've got a dentist, we've got a guy that runs a homebrew shop. Uh, I'm in web development, and so none of us are really into marketing. We we, we didn't know sort of where to. Um, uh, to, to put ourselves out there sort of a thing. In retrospect, if we had to do it over again, we would maybe try to target some more of those folks that would know of Brendan and know sure. of Rosetta and Neil Perry and, and that sort of thing. Because it is I a figure, drawer. Sure. Absolutely. And I, and I figure it's such a, an amazing value, um, $95 for a five-course mm-hmm. meal and five beers. I mean, you're not going to get – you're not even going to touch that at, at one of his you know restaurants. So. Um, I think had had the Rosetta clientele caught wind of it, you know, we would have sold out in a few days. No doubt about it. Yeah, you could probably get if you did take that angle, you could probably get pretty significant numbers to an event like this in the future. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with the uh, pairings between uh, the beers and the food, did you give a directive to the brewers that you had um, contribute, or did they just do uh, what they do? Yeah, no, that, that's a really good question, um, and it's probably the most common question: how we put this thing together, where we come up with our di- our ideas and such. Um, it started off by us asking the brewers to come up with uh, either a beer style or a recipe they might have kicking around, um, something that inspires them and something that they think is interesting. Maybe you know, even something that they brew well, they, they, something their house ale or whatever they have kicking around. Um, and we wanted them to keep in mind that it's kind of cold this time of year. We're granted had a beautiful sort of spring day in Melbourne today, but... Um, just to be mindful of that and so that as a starting point the beers as a starting point that was our, our, our launch and then we gave tasting notes and basic concepts to Brendan and we let Brendan work from there and build his menu and the food around the characteristics of the beers okay fair enough and I guess yeah he's a perfect person to, to yeah. execute that so it's gonna it's gonna be fun I think yeah. Um, so, just in, to do with the conference itself, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that I think there's a pretty clear divide between uh, craft beer enthusiasts and home brewing enthusiasts. So, yep. is there a, a tr- any strategy to try and close that gap to maximise the sort of interest and attendance in the conference? Uh, oh, first of all, do you agree that that is a sort of a clear? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. I'm definitely recognising. I'm recognising a new sort of community of. of folks that are really into craft beer, but they have no interest in how it's made or what the ingredients are. They just, they, they're just interested in the end product, which is absolutely fine. You know, it's fun. And, and they're really passionate about the end product and they can, you know, rattle off 480 beers that they've tried on untapped this week alone sort of a thing. And, and that's great. But um, in terms of trying to bring the two together, I don't know, it's, it's knowledge. Um, and if that sort of person is interested in, in knowledge and sort of expanding their um, understanding of beer, how it works, uh, the, the science involved with making a, a good beer, um, they'll hopefully come to us. I, I don't really know how to sort of market it or tr- tr- to try to bring them in um, other than to potentially if, if one of those persons is out there listening now to tell you that it is, it's so easy to make a beautiful batch of beer. It's like making a loaf of bread. Um, it's such a gorgeous ancient art. Um, that I encourage you to try it and not a Cooper's kit sort of a thing out of the gates. Find somebody that's making really good beer and just watch them make the beer and hop into it. I think it's like it's quite interesting because to me, like I think anyone who's got an interest, 
any any level above just pure enjoyment of the end product, yep. I think would find a huge amount of value and enjoyment out of the conferences. Because yeah. just looking at speakers past, especially this year, there's so much to get out of it. And I, I think even if you, people aren't intending on applying the knowledge and making beer, sure. I think that level of understanding and the knowledge you can get from these people is just going to enhance the experience of drinking beer and appreciating it. So I, absolutely, I just, good point. I am surprised that. Uh, there still is that gap that the conferences yeah. really, I mean, it's really the brewers that are really excited about it. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's something that we can work on, but, you know, we're, we're doing really well in the, in the homebrew, homebrew world within Australia where our conference, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain it's going to sell out. I mean, we only have probably about 30 tickets available. Uh, anyway, I haven't checked the figures today, but... Um, no doubt in my mind that we're going to sell out. It's, it's, so it's not really a problem sort of getting more people in. At the moment, it's a bit of a niche thing still. Um, oh, no, I understand that. I was talking to John earlier, um, and he mentioned that it's a sm- fairly small contingent from Canberra where it's being uh-huh. held that have bought the tickets up, but it's quite a big uh, investment of time and money from Absolutely. people to, to, that have already bought into it. Yeah, uh, but uh, so I understand that currently the growth isn't required. We think those events could become such a much much bigger uh, spectacle because of the quality of the people that are getting attracted. Yep, absolutely. Do you want to get a little uh, yes. canopy here? I want uh, uh, two, please. Excuse us, we're just going to indulge ourselves. Can't miss the uh, canopy, thank you, sir. Cheers. Beautiful. Thank you very much. So distracted by food. I guess that's why we're here, right? So I guess um, while you know while we're while we're rolling, I mean, we've in front of us we've got uh, uh, it's basically a slider. It's a soft shell crab slider. Uh, we've got mustard mayo capers uh, in a ramelade. and the thing that's really interesting about this, Brendan's used dill pollen. So it's just the pollen of dill. It's really like um, fragrant. It's 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 a very interesting. Without uh, shoving it in my face on yep. air, what does the pollen give to the, the flavor? Do you know? It's, this might be a question. I have, no, yeah, I, I okay. actually was able to try this about two weeks ago, and um, it's, it's basically a dill flavor, yeah. so, um, but it's, a, it's, it's kind of a more mild, um, sort of distant dill. Brendan can actually explain that a little yeah, bit better sure. when, when I bring him up, um, but it's effectively a dill flavor, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a more mild variety. It's a bit softer, I suppose I'm trying to say. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, this is one that I saw Brendan uh, tweet a photograph of. Oh, did he? Uh, cool. Yeah, not, not too long ago. So yep. um, maybe really, uh, I was salivating straight away pretty much. Sure. In, in terms of this pairing, I mean, from, from myself, and again, these are from my notes from a couple of weeks ago, uh, the dominant flavors on this one is going to be pickle and mustard. It's quite strong. It's, it's quite salty. Um, you get a good wallop of butter that's on the uh, inside of the brioche. And the textures are gorgeous, um, but overall, it's really it's kind of an acidic, uh, dominant um, sort of flavor in the food. And the golden ale is just going to cut that so nicely. So, in terms of the overall concept with this pairing, it's all about uh, it's it's kind of what people think when they think of food and beer pairing, where they just think, oh, well, beer just cuts it, it cleanses the palate, mm-hmm. makes you want to have another bite of food, sort of a thing. Um, so and, many and, elements of beer and food pairing that I know it's insane. It. Yeah, and this one's kind oh, sorry, of sorry. Just for those listeners, this is the uh, Boneyard Golden Ale, yes, which is quite is an aggressively hopped uh, and bitter uh, Golden Ale, but it's perfect for this Absolutely. kind of food. Yeah, yep. and, and and it's a, such a beautiful beer in its own right. It's it's really dry. It's crisp. It just finishes so nice. It's such a clean, um, gorgeous beer. And so you know that up against this kind of wall of acidity that we're going to put in our mouths here in a second. Um, just cuts it so nicely, and it just sets you up, and it kind of opens the palate, and it sets the 
sets the stage for the evening, really. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So um, we might wrap this up now Sounds and good. Uh, start preparing for the evening. Thanks. Great. Thank you, mate. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, uh, I'm here with uh, Sam from Thunder Road, and uh, just going to ask a couple of questions about how we began in home brewing. So, how'd you get started, Sam? Um, I finished school, 2002. Finished school, long summer, got pretty bored. You got a lot of time on your hands, and I've always I had a science teacher in year eight, and he did a home brewing experiment at school, just kind of like tweak something, interest, and then. Um, yeah, decided to do it, so I went to Kmart, got the kit, like the Cooper's Lager. Yeah, you know, pretty like much. Ubiquitous Cooper's, Cooper's Lager. That That's probably does. the story for half the people in the and, room, I reckon. Um, yeah, it was, like, it tasted fine. Like, it was, you know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't wasn't infected. It was, like, clean beer, but it was very, I don't know, just boring and fizzy and sort of cidery. And I was like, I didn't know much about beer at the point in time, so I was like, yeah, cool. And then uh, I just got into it. Like, I just really... That started me getting into beer, and then I started wanting to kind of brew different beers and kind of just tumbleweeded from there. Like, I started going to Grain and Grape, um, started mashing, drinking more beer, getting more into the flavors, and then you kind of figure out what you like, and then you start talking to more people about beer, you hang out with people who drink beer a lot and get into beer, and then you just, I don't know, you really get focused in it and just, yeah, you love it. So, I kind of started out as a hobby, and uh, what's that like? 12 years ago, something now, almost 13 years ago, and then, uh, you know, I was a geologist, like, that's what I, that's what I studied at uni, and oh, then right. uh, worked in that for a while, but just decided to kind of go with my passion and do what I wanted to did do. Did you go so to WA to do geology, or did you Sorry? Get, did you work in WA for Dumford Geology? No, I was actually, you went to Canada, so oh, I did wow, gold okay. exploration in Canada for like uh, two years. That's awesome. So, living in Vancouver and working at a site in central BC, it was like amazing, like amazing country, but... Uh, Got to see a lot of North, like Pacific Northwest beer culture as well there. It's just, you know, then this was... Was that just out of school? Yeah, like it was my so first, that was kind of a graduate sort of thing. Okay. So is that did. where you discovered good beer? Uh, it was definitely like, yeah, I learned a lot over there. Like I came from Australia where IPAs was kind of new. Like mm-hmm. Jamison the Beast was just out and like that was a big deal. And like, you know, this is... Yeah, that was pretty intense, the, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and fair. then I went to the States and I remember I had the first time I had it. What was it? It was Chinook, I think, in that beer. And I was like, holy shit, that's just too much, man. Like, you can't do that. Like, that's just rude. It's outrageous. And I was kind of offended by it the first time I drank it, and then I kind of got into it. And uh, then I went to the States, and, like, Pacific Northwest is just out of control, man. Like, just, just yeah, mind-blowing. And, um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool now, like, coming back. It's not that long ago. Like, it's five years ago, six years ago. And so now, like, the culture though, years just exploded. So it's exciting. Um, when did you come back? 2009 yeah okay. 2009 so just the start of the and then um, so I came back and I started working grain and grape again I was kind of like in between I was just floating around mm-hmm. like I was kind of doing the transition from like working as a geologist to looking for work in the brewing industry so you started at grape and grain at about 2009-ish is that right 2002 2003 oh right okay so I worked there for like through uni and then went to Canada and then came back and started doing a few shifts at grain and grape what again. was the um, the homebrew environment like in 2002, 2003 yeah, versus when you came back? Different. Like when I first went, because the shop was in 
uh, Rosamond Road back then, so near High Point, and it was kind of like a pokey old shop, and like there's just crap everywhere, and it's full of like more just old, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like guys like riggers, you know, like um, old guys, and they just love beer. It's a really passionate community, but it wasn't as um, nowhere near as popular, uh, and it was more. It's kind of old school homebrewing. A lot of the guys have been brewing for a long time. Yeah, it wasn't sure. so much like young guys who were kind of excited about it and all these new hop varieties. It, was, it wasn't IPAs. It was like, you know, brewing um, sparkling ale or like bitters, like a lot of English styles <laughs> that were really popular uh, or like, you know, people doing pale ales, like just, you know, standard American pale ales. That was popular beer style. Uh, you brewed, typically, you you know, guys are doing gravity, like brewing a bag didn't exist then. Uh, Aussie homebrew was very, very young, like I used to actually use it back then. Um, and that was a really good resource, really did a lot. And then, you know, I was only there for two years and it really exploded, like you see lots of guys coming in just... You must have seen a really here. interesting, like, cross-section going going away out of the country yeah. for that sort of five, six-year period and then coming back to yeah, a yeah, totally definitely, different uh, definitely. scene. Yeah, you, it's it's amazing. Like it's exploded in popularity, interest, and people really getting into it. And it's good to see. You know, you love I love meeting guys who are just getting into beer and like they're just yeah, because it bites you, doesn't it? Man. Yeah, they're just, they're just loving it. And you're like, yeah, man. It's, it's and I'm not sure of the timeline, but then you started working at New World Distillers. Yeah, right? so it was um, Victoria Valley back then. So I met. I was looking for a job in brewing, and it's quite a small industry. So you know, you got to like see what comes up mm-hmm. and do interviews, and it's hard because you really need when people are looking for brewers they're not looking for a home brewer that wants to become a brewer they're looking for a brewer you know like they want a guy who knows how to fix a pump and can get in a sump yeah yeah sure knows the industry and most of the guys looking for jobs are kind of like just want to get into the industry so it's quite difficult to kind of get your foot in a door somewhere and I'd had a bit of like I'd helped out at breweries and stuff but I'd never had a real brewing job um and I met this guy and he was doing whiskey and I'm like well I hadn't really drunk much whiskey I didn't know much about whiskey um but it's a malt based beverage and I spoke to him, and he was really like uh, excited about this kind of this um, venture he was starting. And so it was a whiskey distillery in Essendon, Essendon Field, so the old airport, uh, making malt whiskey in Australia. So he'd come out of Tassie, worked with Lark down there, and made some awesome whiskey, and saw the potential, like the growth, the interest in whiskey. Uh, and so I was like, sure, let's do it. So I was, you know, his first employee and together we kind of sort of set up the distillery. Um, so it's quite rudimentary compared to brewing. You basically, you mash the same, but then you run off straight into the fermenter. Uh, you don't boil it. So you basically, you know, you've got, uh, you know, unsterilized wort in the fermenter. So you've still got active enzymes. You've still got bugs from the grain. Pitch yeast, it's fast ferment. It's like, you know. Three day, three wow. day, four day ferment. Wow. <laughs> uh, you trying to get a lot of booze out, um, and then you basically run it through the still. So double distillation. We used copper stills out of Tasmania, um, and you got this spirit. And then barrels. It's all about the barrels. So we got a really good supply of um, ex Australian fortified, fortified wine barrels, uh, and they're just they're. You know, I saw the process start to finish. You know, last thing I was doing, they were sort of blending for the last ble- the, the first blend coming out. And um, it's cool to kind of, yeah, take it the whole way through and see a product on the shelf now at Dan Murphy's and be like, yeah, that was, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So now you're at Thunder Road. Um, with everything that you've, I mean, obviously the homebrew is going to give you an element of knowledge as a base to go on. Um, do you get take anything from working at the, the distillery to round out your skill set? 
Yeah, I guess it's beer's different because it's much faster, like very dynamic. Whereas whiskey's such a long time period, you know, like you're waiting and you do a you do something, and you don't really like with whiskey, you don't really see a result for like two years more, three, four years. You kind of like got these concepts and they don't really come out the other end. But then with beer, it's like dynamic. It's like four weeks, six weeks, you know, eight weeks. You know, it's like yes, this worked. Yes, this didn't work. And you, you drink the stuff you brew so quickly. Yeah, I, love, exactly. I love that fast-paced environment. You know, I really like that. I love fermentation. Like, it's just, yeah, amazing. It's, uh, it's good. So what do you reckon the best part about the conference in October is going to be? The best element? Uh, just hanging out with guys who are interested in beer, you know. You meet a whole group of guys who share the same passion that you do and you talk crap about beer and you're getting some great conversations and you meet guys like, you know, Vinny's like, God, oh, you know, like, yeah. You meet these guys, and it's just, yeah. Just, so I think that's the. Many yeah. of these awesome people, like, if they get awesome guests, I don't know how they keep doing it. Like, it's, you know. Oh, the speakers awesome. are absolutely sensational, yeah. aren't they? Are you going to struggle to keep you cool talking to Vinny? Oh, uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. I get a bit, like, awkward. Like, this will probably be the first time we've mentioned Vinny. So uh, one of the guest speakers for this year's conference is going to be Vinny Chalozo, who's the. Uh, well, I don't know if he's got a more official title, but he's a head brewer at Russian River Brewing. So. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of questions and get a lot of badgering by everyone at the conference. Yeah. So everyone's going to. It's going to be. He's going to be a great guest. Yeah. yeah. So look, I think that's amazing talking about beer with people who love and beer. And he's bringing some fresh Planet of the Elder with him as well. Yeah, so it's, right. it's that's that's worth the ticket price itself, yeah. isn't it? I think club night. Yeah, I think club so. night's like same thing. You know, just talking beer, drinking beer. Good. Everyone brews their best beer. It's like everyone's like. Uh, competitions are great, but like this is where everyone really wants to impress everyone at one point in time, you know. And it's like just if you brew a good beer for club nights, it's great. Really good. Uh, That's yeah. awesome. Oh, I'm really glad you came and had a chat with us, Sam. So our next course is coming out, so we'll cool. head back and much appreciated, mate. Thanks, man. Thanks Cheers. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, you're listening to what is now fast becoming the Ale of a Time featuring Hendo show because we welcome Hendo. Hey, man. How you How going? Man? Third appearance. How you doing? I know. Third time. It's crazy. This is a good appearance, though, isn't it? Yeah, this is a great night tonight. I'm having a ball. We just finished dessert there and... Wow. <laughs> we just looked at each other in disbelief the at how good the dessert was. Wow. And what then was the, the pumpkin pairing. Pumpkin mousse with, with uh, caramelised popcorn, popcorn on top. Yeah. And uh, an Australian IPA brewed by Sam Slaney from Thunder Road, which was also delicious and fresh. And this was uh, Brendan O'Sullivan's baby. Oh, was it Brendan's beer, was it? No, no, sorry. Not his beer, but his uh, baby uh, meal pairing. Like, Oh. He, he's very big on... Uh, he talked to us when we went to Boneyard, and he's very big on why not... IPA with yeah. dessert because that's a great example of why those flavours just work so well. I mean, that that pairing was just awesome. Yeah. All the pairings tonight. Oh, um, it's been a triumph. Know, yeah. Amazing. Like you know, it's Brendan. He's because he's a home. I think because he's a home brewer, he's yeah, he just really it, yeah. brought his A game to this event. And these are some of the best beer and food pairings I've ever had. Absolutely. And right. The other good thing as well is that you know all of the um, the, the the brewers who've made something at home or at grain and grape and that sort of thing, it's really difficult to make um, a pilot batch or a homebrew batch of something without getting some sort of fault happening in it. 
And all these Qualities, beers tonight yeah, have exactly. been absolutely spotless. It's been really cool to see. So, yeah. Do you want to take us through your beer that you had? Yeah, so I did a, a, um, a red Saison uh, called Saison Rouille, uh, which is the French word for rust. And so basically uh, it's, a, it's, it's a red wort base with about 8% rye, a little bit of crystal malt, a little bit of carafa, a little bit of roast malt sort of thing, um, uh, East Kent Goldings and Styrian Goldings hops and sweet uh, orange peel and bitter orange peel. Um, and um, Indian coriander, which is very citrusy. So this whole citrusy thing comes through. It's not a hoppy beer, which a lot of people have come up to me tonight and said, oh, it's not a hoppy beer. I'm like, yeah, I can do other things. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and um, it's turned out it was pretty, pretty delicious. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. So, and it was paired with this um, rabbit sausage, yeah, which wasn't was that good. just fantastic. So, yeah. I'm not going to go through what I think of all the food pairings because I wanted to chat to Brendan later and I don't want to sound like a broken record, mm. um, but it's been amazing tonight. It's been well done, really yeah. well done. How many of these, um, well, first of all, of the conferences have you been a part of? Uh, the first ANHC I went to was number two. Uh-huh. Um, 2012? Uh, right? 2012, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, no, it's every other year. So. Oh, is it? Yeah. So, 2010. Oh, okay. Um Whilst I was still working at Prickly Moses, mm-hmm. came down for that. Um, the second one, 2012, um, I was at I was working at Southern Bay, put a beer in for that, um, and um, had a pretty pretty decent time there. And this year I'm presenting, so I'm chuffed. You're among a star-studded lineup. It is an amazing lineup, you know. So um, um, the last one that you went to, 2012, you got to uh, meet John Palmer. That's right. And I mean, for those who don't know, let us know who John Palmer Uh, is. John Palmer is like a home brewing legend. He's he's like he knows. He's 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 actually a brewer who he knows a lot about um, beer process and beer technology particularly around water and water treatment and wastewater treatment that sort of thing and these sound like really boring and dry things but to a brewer in a commercial sense they're really important things. but also one of his other um one of his other skills is he's got this ability to explain really dry information yes. in a way that you get yeah. yeah well he wrote the book how to brew mm-hmm. so you know and every home brewer has read that book um and you know he's talking about the the, the, the process of brewing and uh, you know in a, in a way that's clear and succinct and fun um, you know because home brewers can really get into the minutia and the details and focus on tiny little details and that sort of thing whereas John's like relax just go with the flow I think in his book beer. every single everything every single instruction ends in relax, relax have a beer yeah, yeah exactly that's right wonderful so were you did could you compose yourself when you met him or were you like a giddy schoolgirl? uh john palmer yeah i had a bit of a giddy schoolgirl moment yeah, yeah. fair enough <laughs> it happens occasionally um but um this year is going to be an interesting nice. one because vinnie like, vinnie chiloso is going to be there the brewing the rest of the brewing network guys you know um i think jamil's coming out tasty's coming out um, and, and, you know, I listen to their podcasts all the time and I'm like, you know, if I ever do a long drive, so I often drive up to Queensland and that's what I listen to. I listen to all the Brewing Network shows um, while I'm on the road and just switch off and think. And so to have to be in the same room and have a beer with them, 
It's going to be great. Yeah, you're going to be in the element. Having yeah, Vinny there is going to be really cool. He's going to get uh, inundated. And I'm talking there, but I tell you what, I, I, when, when I found out that Vinny was going to be there, I'm like, I'm not talking about hops. <laughs> yeah, your two passions, hops oh, and sour. No. He's got cover, doesn't he? Yeah. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to talk about? i uh, going to do a, a, a talk called um, Extreme Brewing Turning the Dial Up to Six Instead of Eleven. I like so, it. So... Um, it's basically going to cover the, the topic of... Uh, it's going to cover off a lot of the psychedelic series, so mm-hmm. I'm going to give away a lot of beer recipes of what's going on in the psychedelic series, how the psychedelic series beers relate to each other. They're mm-hmm. all very, very closely related. Um, and how, you know, one can perceive to do an ex- a, a, a perceived extreme beer, quote, um, but you don't... That doesn't necessarily mean adding more of an ingredient or more of something to create a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of what I'm sort of looking forward to covering off. You know, quite often with home brewers, they want to make an extreme beer, um, but and ten's not enough. They, Up they to think that if I just throw more, 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 yeah. more into the beer, that it's going to make an extreme yeah. beer. We're going to make and a 12.5% barley wine with yeah. chili and oak chips right. soaked so in bourbon. I guess yeah. what, I'm, you know, what I'm going to be talking about is sort of practicing some restraint and balance mm-hmm. and making extreme beers, but making awesome extreme beers. Yeah, so. exactly right. I think a good example of that's the Get Down Brown. I mean... Did you have that? Yeah, I love it. So good. Ooh. Just a really... It's probably the less, ex- the least extreme of the psychedelic series, as far as the flavor profile. But it's just this amazing, it's just a amazing, solid yeah. beer. Well, it's yeah. really hard to throw hops at a brown uh-huh. beer because you need to actually throw quite a lot uh, at it. And again, you know, the, the, the psychedelic series are very closely related in more ways you can imagine, and so. Um, it's it's worked out really good. I'm really happy with with the uh, get down brown. So yeah, I had a little chat with Jeff Wine earlier, and there's a little school of thought that I've got that the homebrew community and the general craft beer community are kind of divided. Do you know what I mean about How that? How so? Like here tonight, aside from the pro brewers. I don't know any anyone. I don't know anyone here beside the bros. You know, you're right. Um, like, you know, if I'm I'm looking around the room now, and there's not the usual craft beer people that you and I. Yeah, both that's right. Know. And I think when you look at who is part of the homebrew clubs that are around the place, I don't think there's a big crossover with the people that we see out at yeah. other events there. And I think it's just. I don't think it, I, I wouldn't call it a division as such. I think. You know, I would say that, that, that these guys who are here, the homebrewers that are here, their craft beer experience is different to... Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, but where, you know, I was, where my thought process was going with it is that an event... Well, for example, this dinner tonight, mm. there's no reason why anyone wouldn't pay $90 or $95, no, whatever yeah, it was, it's, it's for fun. this divinely paired well, you know, and the cool thing is, dinner. is that a lot of our friends in the broader craft beer scene... Would have come to this thing tonight, and they would have raved about. Yeah, exactly. And out, exactly you know? right. It's so funny. Um, and I just think I don't know if the, if the the term home brewer for people that don't do it a lot, if that is an immediate turn off. If you know what I mean? Yeah. People that hate, hear that, they don't. They they stop going. Maybe this is this is for me, and then 
I was looking at a few of the previous uh, speaker lists from the previous conferences, and they're all amazing. Yes. They're all really solid. None so more than 2014's conference oh, this year. coming yeah, up. It's, it's unbelievable. And I was thinking that it's probably an event that loads and loads of craft beer geeks would just love, even if they don't necessarily think they're going to apply the knowledge to making a beer. Yes. They can use that to appreciate different styles. They can use the different knowledge to just gain a better understanding. Yeah. There, there is a crossover there. You know, I think about people who really cross over between the craft beer and the home brewer um, scene. No, I do it because I'm a home brewer myself and I love hanging out with home brewers. Uh, Ross Kenrick from Bacchus mm. and his crew do it really, really well because Ross runs a sure. big homebrew shop and has a craft brewery as well. Um, um, but, you know, I guess it comes down to each individual's experience. You know, some people just like their craft beer experience. You know, I mean, I've been talking to homebrewers tonight about beers which they've Mate, you're a celebrity made. here tonight, buddy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And you know, I, I love it, though. But, I, you know, if any homebrewer ever says, oh, yeah, I want to make a beer like Hopzone, I'll just give them the recipe. Yeah. It's like, here you go. Go make it. Go have fun. I just think that there's Save a... Me some. I just think there's a... <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I think there's an, uh, an appreciation that non-homebrewers could get from a dinner such as this, obviously, because yes. it's an immediate um, satisfaction yeah, you get. I agree. But also from the conference that I don't think is really being attended to if you know what I mean yeah and I understand that they've got a certain capacity of tickets this year that they've almost sold all of them so they're not losing out on that market but it could be a really big event yes which is would be really easy for people to buy into mm. so I don't know I just wanted to yeah um, yeah it would, it, it, uh, yeah. I, I don't think it's a division I just think it's again I just think it just comes down to the, the each individual's experience and how they're consuming craft beer that, I mean there are people who drink craft beer from just a consumer perspective. Yeah, of course. And that's it. They're happy with that. And that's awesome. You know, do that. There are some people who start, you know, when they start on their craft beer journey or they get into their craft beer journey, they start to actually want to understand the ingredients and the process and that sort of thing, um, you know, who start homebrewing because of their craft beer experience. Mine was the other, other way around, you know. I used to drink shitty Phoebe and all that sort of thing. Then I started home brewing. Then I discovered craft beer. Um, so there's multiple paths on the way to, you know, uh, as a broader thing, a better beer enlightenment. Yeah, fair thing. enough. So aside from what we've mentioned with uh, addressing your heroes, what are you looking forward to most about the conference? Oh, we're just getting a direction that Hendo's got to uh, jump in and... Talk to him in two minutes, so All we'll right. wrap up here shortly. But what do you like about the conference? What's what's the biggest draw? Uh, meeting the Homebrewers Club Night. <laughs> Club Night's amazing. Um, it is just it's just the funniest, freakiest thing, and you drink these most amazing beers that have been presented in the most amazing ways, and you get to vote and have a good time. And um, you know, I've seen beers go through three hotbacks out of the keg between the keg and the tap. Um, you know, I've seen, I've drunk some amazing sours. Um, one of the guys who's running, I think it might be, oh, he's, he's up in Canberra anyway, Patrick. I still remember his IPA that I drank at the last club night. Mind blowing IPA, and and I said, I want that. Can you, can I have that recipe so I can make it myself and that sort of thing? And 
Patrick sent me this bloody recipe and yeah, I've made the beer and it's just, oh, it's yeah? just oh, spectacular, you know, and um, so there's some real eye-opening and surprising stuff that happens there, you know, and um, that's why it's such a, it's, it's such a good, good conference. It's a really good conference. Awesome. A lot of fun. I mean, as usual, we could probably go on for a long time, but uh, you've got to go in. I don't know what you have to do, but there's yeah. some commitment. So it's always a pleasure, Hendo. Thank you very much. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm now joined by uh, Brandon Sheldrick, who um, pretty much organised all the pairings for tonight's dinner. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you very much. So, I'm going to get all the gushing out of the way early. I don't like to do it on air, but it has to be said that that was the most thoughtful, delicate and complex group of pairings that I've ever had, and it was phenomenal. Well, thank you very much. It was, yeah, a, a long sort of couple of weeks of trying to, to get that together to sort of to, to juggle it with you know, running a big restaurant and trying to find time in the day but you know all, I think it really worth it in the end for, for those that don't know um, tell us about the restaurant that you currently head chef so I'm working at Rosetta at the moment I mean it's one of it's part of the Neil Perry Rockpool Empire and I've worked for Neil for about well, it's about 10 years in October now so 10 continual years Bit of, it's a you know, without blowing your own horn, that's a long time to work for for one employer yeah. in any industry. Yeah, I think, but I mean, is. you know, you put up with a lot along the way and just work really, really hard. But look, I've settled down here in Melbourne. I was originally originally from Sydney. Uh, worked at Spice Temple down here before that, uh, doing you know regional Chinese food. So the jump to Rosetta was yeah, it's, it's been it's been a wild ride, and it's only just kind of settling down now, yes. kind of two years in. Absolutely. So you've also you're also an avid home brewer, or you possibly don't have as much time for it as you have in the past. You're an avid home brewer? Yeah, I've been, uh, look, started off uh, a little apartment in, in King's Cross in Sydney with the with the Cooper's kit, I think like a lot of well, a lot of sure. people do. My yeah. girlfriend uh, bought me it for my birthday, uh, making absolutely woeful, horrible, uh, you know, I don't even know if you call it a beer, <laughs> really. <laughs> but the that's, creator in you kept this. Uh, but, you know, you yeah. keep going and you sort of get more and more interested. And um, I started to, you know, I guess part of the collection was the How to Brew book by mm-hmm. John Tarmer, which I'm sure everybody listening to this is probably couple more, of than, mentions already, yeah. more than aware of. <laughs> I mean, it's a, you know, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a seminal piece, I guess they, they say. And just started to read that. You know, when you have a few spare minutes and start to go, okay, maybe this is there's more to it than than cracking open a can. And I think with his um, with his book as well, you sort of his passions magnetic, and you sort of oh look, it's definitely very thorough. You, that's, you, you that's read for sure. these dry these dry uh, bodies of information, but he yeah. so he talks about it so passionately that it's hard to not share that with him as well. So um, yeah, mm. look for me, at, like at the start and, and still, my, like a lot of it's still really heavy reading and it's, it's heavy going for me but I mean I think homebrew is one of those things where you, you can take it as you can take it as seriously or as casually as you like and for me I don't like to get too too serious I mean there's there's definitely no water chemistry <laughs> for, for me that's 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 you know a bit out of, out of my element but you know if you you, you you drink enough beer you appreciate enough beer you start to get a picture of what, what you like and, and, and what you want to make for yourself yeah fair enough so um 
when did it happen in your career so far where the knowledge that you had and the passion you had for uh, beer crossed over into wanting to experiment with those sort of pairings? Look, to to be brutally honest with you, this this is the first one that I've that I've ever attempted. I even mean, just I understand that this is like professionally, but even just yeah. for yourself. Oh, look, for myself, it's been about trying to. I mean. I like to eat reasonably simply. I mean, for a guy that works in, you know, a, you know, a fine dining restaurant, if that's what you want to call it. I mean, people throw that term around. It means different things to different people. But, I mean, I'm not the biggest restaurant person going around. I like to eat what I like fairly modestly. You know, I like really rustic food. I like, you know, I like food from, you know, from, from Eastern Europe, from, from the Middle East, from, from Southeast Asia. That's, I mean, there's, there's a whole world of food out there and there's a, there's a whole diverse world of beer as well. So, I mean, I guess subconsciously been pairing it kind of most of my life, but I guess this is really the first, like it is the first time that I have actually sat down and gone, what am I going to match with, with these beers? So how did you tackle it then? Well, the guys kind of threw it. I mean, it was nice to have a, you know, beers kind of thrown at you and you just, you just have to do one one half of it. That's mm-hmm. yeah. that's the, you know, that, that's the, the easy part of it. But, I mean, I just thought about things and sort of little combinations that I would, would work kind of well. I mean, it's just, I like the, you know, uh, Hendo's Red, Red Saison there. I mean... That was that, an amazing match. Yeah, yeah, that part of the world was, you know, I, I went to that sort of French, Belgian... Sort of thing like rabbit, you know. I mean, the, the bre- actually the breed of rabbit that we use for the sausage is a is a Flemish giant. So that's where I started to draw on that, and even that sort of Alsace region of France where it's you know starting to border on Germany. There's cabbage, there's meat, there's beer. You know, that's that that was the inspiration for for that. And then we could have kind of progressed, and I guess the pairings got a little bit more more well, difficult, not really, but challenging. That's that's for sure. You know, we went for the lasagna. I wanted something caramelly to sit with the, you know, with, with, with quite a mild beer by the other standards. And yeah, that's fair other, Yeah, a few other, you know, interesting pairings. Um, yeah, they were just outstanding. And they, you mentioned they got progressively more challenging, uh, finishing off with the dessert course. Take us through that one. Yeah, so, so Brendan O'Sullivan threw that one out there and said that he was really keen to sort of to, to ruffle a few feathers and, and put an IPA up as a dessert. Mm-hmm. And like I said in the interview, I said it's like it's like standing in front of Mitchell Johnson bearing down on you, mate. It's a, it's a challenge, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit scary and you just think, how, how am I going to play this? How, what, what am I going to do? So I played with a few ideas. The, the, actual, the original idea for it was I was going to do a Sussex Pond dessert, which is a really, really old school English dessert, like about, about as traditional as it gets uh, it's like a suet crust pastry which is the anything called a Sussex pond I'm going to guess is a really old school oh man <laughs> like super old. I mean you know it's those sort of things like those suet crust steam puddings have had a bit of a renaissance with, with Heston Blumenthal and those guys kind of having a flick through the you know through the history pages but that was it's all about suet fat rich pastry uh, cream sugar and heaps and heaps of citrus and I tried it and I thought oh, it's 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 too much like you, you you're trying to battle this beer and you and you can't. That's the thing. So you have to try and uh, sort of come at it from the flanks really and go. Well, how am I going to sort of compete a little bit here with it? And I just, I guess, kind of went back on my. I'm I'm really into kind of sweet, savoury desserts. 
things like like pumpkin pie, mm-hmm. big rustic pastries, you know, like, you know, American pastries, Italian bakery things. That's my that's what I like to eat for dessert. So pairing wise, I mean, everything tonight was about what I what I like to eat, and I think that's when you get the best, the best success really out of it. Well, I think tonight would uh, certainly attest to that. Well, I hope so. Yeah, it wasn't so too much coming back off the plate. <laughs> <No, no. laughs> so you settled on a um, a pumpkin mousse. Uh, with sort of caramelised popcorn yeah. on top. I mean, I I thought um, I like a I like a bit of malt in an IPA, particularly a big big American style. I mean, I like that bal- I like that toffee caramelly balance mm-hmm. with all those massive hops in there. Um, I wanted to bring a little bit of a little bit of caramel and a little bit of spice to what I had tasted previously. With, with this uh, Australian IPA, which was all kind of tropical fruit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a bit, of, a bit of toffee with a caramel popcorn on top, you know, really nicely slow-roasted pumpkin, a bit of spice, and it just played really, really nicely. Well, just judging on the reactions from the table that I was on, people were, were speechless with the, first of all, the dessert itself, and then the match, because it was a pretty aggressively bitter IPA, um, oh, yeah, it was. It, look, it was. It was always going to be a really big challenge, and I just you, in those situations you just go, what, what, what do I like, and what, what do I think, and what is you know, what do you kind of fall back on, really? And that was. So I'm not sure. It? I can't. I mean, I've goldfish memory this, but I can't think of if I when I spoke on on air with Jeff if he uh, mentioned how in the seven or nine uh, dinners they've done that this is the first time that they've. Uh, tasted what the chefs had to offer and not had any notes to well, give. That's a, yeah, that's a that's a big compliment. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I guess yeah, yeah. So for your first effort at that, I guess yeah. you're. Uh, I can only assume that your experience in drinking beer and creating beer and thinking about beer has assisted you with it. Because oh, look, it's been. I mean, yeah, I. A lifetime of study, <laughs> really. That's 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 what it comes down to. It's just it's just interest, you know. And if you're interested and passionate enough about it, then those those things start to you know start start it's to flow. Naturally. You know, I've wanted to do this for. Like, I guess that's why I was personally so stressed out about it. Yeah, you know, well, it was. It was it's, it was a stressful thing. You're going into a new environment with new people, and uh, you're not quite sure how how it's all going to work and how it's all going to down go down. And you just kind of trust. Where you're at, and 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 the work that you've done, and I guess the yeah the lifetime of study that you've done, <laughs> and and go for it. Well, I've grabbed you pretty quickly after the dessert was finished, so I don't think you would have got feedback from a lot of people, but I think you'll find it's been an overwhelming success. So um, congratulations yeah. to you. Thank you very much. Hi everyone, Luke here. Uh, I thought I'd jump in at this juncture to just mention that. The next couple of segments get a little bit louder. The evening uh, moved on to Deja Vu Bar after the dinner, and Dave conducted two interviews there. Um, and as you can imagine, a whole bunch of people after a beer dinner cramming into a, a relatively small bar, in the front bar at least, uh, makes for a pretty loud podcast. So be wary. Don't you know? Uh, leave the volume up and get your ears blasted by crowd noises. Yeah, just a, just a warning. Also, you know, let's face it, I, I couldn't, I had to jump in at some point, you know, an episode that I wasn't talking on, like, you know, I'm pretty narcissistic and I, I can't let Dave have a whole episode to himself.
Welcome back everybody, I'm here with uh, Simon Haylock, brewer at uh, Red Hill and we're standing in a loud bar with Deja Vu uh, post uh, dinner beverages, refreshments and um, what a night that was, wasn't that good? It was fantastic, I, it was, I've been um, on the ANHC committee and, and been to all these beer dinners and this is probably the best, I reckon, that we've had so far. It's yeah, that's, that's, that seems to be the um, prevailing opinion. Uh, I guess when you get someone like Brendan doing the menu, it really, really stands out because some of those pairs were just fantastic, weren't they? They were awesome, and I think that the uh, the pairings went so well together. There was a mix of complementary beers and contrasting beers with the uh, with the paired food, and they were just very delicate and well thought through. I thought so. Um, yeah, it was very good. Um, so you you made a Metzen, I believe I is did. the correct Yeah, uh, Metzen or Oktoberfest. Um, so what was the thought process behind making that beer? Sorry, what was What it? was the thought process with that beer? Well, um, it's a style that I've I've um, I've been fond of for a long time. Um, and um, I think that the inspiration is really comes from my um, uh, I travelled in in Germany. My son lives in in Bavaria. In fact, we sent him on exchange to Germany, and um, he said, um, "Dad, should I go to Hamburg or Bayreuth?" And I said, "Bayreuth. Let's find out where that is." And he's, and um, that's Bavaria. You must go there. Oh, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> so very strategic decision there. So in year eleven, he fell in love with a girl. In um, in Bavaria, and now he's still he's still over there in studying in in um, in, in at uni, and um, so I visited last year and was lucky enough to go to the local Oktoberfest or Kerba as it's known over there, and tasted some um, some lovely well-brewed Märzens. Um So the uh, style is. Uh, it's something which I really wanted to brew because I know it goes so well with food, that style of beer. So it's the malt complexity uh, with just a little touch of hot bitterness to balance all that malt sweetness. So on the night it was um, paired off with like a, a slow cooked onion lasagna, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, and it just worked really well, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Uh, and I think the, um, the malt sweetness... Uh, balance the um, the caramelised onions and the and the smoked eel patch, and, and it, it really worked quite well. And yeah, it was a bit of it was a bit of luck because not luck, but uh, you know I suppose um, faith on the part of the chef because he hadn't tasted the beer at that stage, uh, and uh, it, it did work well. Yeah, night. it did do very well. Do you think that um, that lager is a bit of a taboo word? without good reason in this country at the moment? Well, it's the thing about lagers is they're, they're difficult and, and a bit more expensive to brew for a craft brewery. You know, as a craft brewer, you can, can put out some smashingly good hop tails in, in less than two weeks. Yeah, right. As, as you know, but to do lagers really well, you can't hide behind anything. Um, it takes time or a lot of science to brew lagers well quickly. And... and at uh, Red Hill, the last fest beer I brewed, which was last year, it really only came into its own after about four months. Right. Okay. Cellaring. When uh, did you um, when did you brew that? When did it initially get released? That is. 
Uh, the, the four of Toby Yeah, yeah, it was. So okay. we brewed that last year. We brewed it for Gabs okay. uh, in March. But to be honest, at Gabs, it was still a bit... It had some yeast characters which shouldn't have been in the beer. So it really took uh, until um, September for the malt to shine through, uh, through the beer. Uh, I'm trying to think of when the... Uh Secret Stash weekend was for that year because that's when I drank it and it was magnificent and uh, that would have been a good a good few months at least I think yeah would it, that would have yeah. been you know um, yeah four so four July-ish? or five months yeah okay yeah so um, it, it does take time for example you know the Seldomir Brewery and the Spartan Brewery in Munich still in 1990 I was reading today still lagered their beers for 14 weeks um, this is I'm not sure what they do these days but uh, Michael Jackson was saying in his uh, book that they even back 10 years ago they were still lagering their beer 40 weeks so it's a style which does take time yeah absolutely uh, how long was yours lagered for? Uh, only about Six weeks. Okay, because it's got a pretty remarkable clarity to it. Yeah, um, I had to filter it, unfortunately. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Well, that'll uh, do it, I guess, yeah. yeah. So, uh, at Red Hill, we don't filter any of our beers, but the home brewers, and I did have to, you know, I had to put it through a one micron filter to get it to be clear, because you really want to get rid of all the yeast character and all the yeast flavor. There should be none, so the delicate malt aromas can, can do their thing. Yeah, well, it certainly, uh, it certainly turned out really well, so uh, we should be pretty proud of that. Are you going to be uh, behind the mantle of the this year's Oktoberfest beer? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the beer you tasted tonight will be much like the one you'll taste at Red Hill. Um, it's a bit tricky as a brewer because um, uh, uh, with seasonals, we only brew these beers once a year. So uh, you've, um, what I normally do is I'll taste the, uh, literally chew the malt, um, and develop the recipe um, after tasting the malt. So um, the the beer tonight was brewed with malt from Gladfields, which is a um, a um, maltster in the Canterbury Plains of New Zealand, and they've got some really lovely new malts um, that most of the breweries, most of the craft breweries in New Zealand use. Um, and I'd never brewed with them before, so literally I tasted the uh, the Munich malt. Uh, they don't do a dark Munich malt, so I had to taste some other malts to approximate some really not dark raisin, but dark uh, roasty malty flavours. And so I got that with some amber malt and uh, some toffee malt from uh, from Gladfields. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that you've been involved with uh, uh, the conference. Was it since its inception in Australia? Yeah, that's right. Okay, yep, and how have you seen it evolve over that time? Because this is what this is four, so that's what eight years. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, it's been uh, it's been pretty remarkable. The um, every, every year we get more and more people getting into craft, getting into home brewing, and it's now the, the lines between home brewing and being craft brewery are getting more blurry. So we, we're seeing more and more. Um, young brewers starting up who are so passionate about beer haven't been brewing that long but uh, have got some great new ideas and um, for example the um, the craft brewery conference this year um, at um, hosted um, in Melbourne was um, probably double the amount of people we had last year so the lines are now being blurred between home brewing and craft brewing but as far as A&HC goes um, I 
I'm just amazed at the program that's happening this year. We've got Vinny Chaluzzo coming out. Um, the speakers you've got are fantastic. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really expecting that uh, the ANHC conferences are going to really exponentially grow in attendance. Because I understand that uh, the current numbers are being met to capacity pretty much. I think the early yeah. bird period's only just finished and you're all, all the places are almost booked up. So yeah. they're selling as many as they want to, but I, can, I really see growth in it because even for people that don't really um, aim to use the information to brew with, yeah. I think it really aids the understanding and appreciation of beer in general yeah. with the information that's there. Who doesn't want to pick Vinny Chaluso's brain? Oh, that's right. Um, I mean, I've had a go at brewing a... Um, uh, consecration beer. I did okay. a pretty piss poor job of it. Okay. But <laughs> well, you'll be able to ask him all about why it went yeah, wrong. Right. <laughs> I think the most, the, the greatest thing is the inspiration you get and the ideas you get from talking to other brewers. Um, and uh, it, it's really lovely to, you know, to be able to get people together who are just so passionate about about brewing. And when people like John Palmer and Jamil come down, it's just like. They're sort of like the doyens of homebrewing around, so yeah, people surely must just soak in the information they get. So. Oh, they do. I mean, I still listen to Jamil's podcast and uh, uh, and the um, the Sunday sessions where they interview professional brewers because every every time you hear someone speak about beer, you pick up something different. Um, and we have we have people visit us at the brewery who are just starting out. We had some visitors from Wisconsin who are on an apple orchard. Oh, yeah? Yep. This is uh, earlier this year, and uh, they've got an apple farm that's been going for three generations, and they're now starting a brewery on an apple farm. And um, I think, you know, just... And they've already got people visiting their farm. So just go for it. Good luck to you, and um, they're going to do really yeah, well. you'll make mistakes, and then you'll fix the mistakes, and everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah that's right. Isn't that I, I we, and, and at Red Hill, we learn from other people. We learn from winemakers and distillers in the area. Uh, we also use, you know, we use Chardonnay barrels from local wineries to aid our temptation, temptation in. And, uh, you know, it's just about sharing ideas. It's good fun. That's the attitude that I do get from Dave whenever he speaks. It's just sort of like, yeah, we'll, we'll try whatever. And if that yeah. doesn't work, then we won't do that again. We'll, we'll fix it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That's really good. Um, what elements of the conference um, do you really enjoy? Because I assume that you attend the conferences whenever. Yeah, um, mostly I, I uh, the, enjoy talking to other brewers. The um, that I, I enjoy the technical technical talks. As as a brewer, I like to pick up tips on um, how to improve my beers, how to develop new flavour profiles, and things like that. But the things that I really remember about one of are, are the things on club night. And um, talking to other brewers one on one and picking up little tips on how to how to do things, like you know how can I make a good wit beer in in you know a few weeks or just like a highly concentrated source of information you can just pick yeah up that's right yeah that's great now just because I've had a few beers now and I lost my original train of thought that's um, right now that craft brewers are getting more and more tank space and as much as they can putting all the money they make into uh, reinvesting back into the breweries. Do you think that we'll start to see some more interesting lagers come through? Because I think we need it in the hot, in our hot climate. 
perfect. Yeah, I, I think we do. There's, there's, if you go through the beer styles list, there's some really there's some styles that um, suit the Australian climate really well, and not only that, but suit our food culture uh, really well. Like the beer I brewed tonight, a medicine goes so well with different foods. Um, it just goes well with so many elements of Australian culture, though, because it goes well with food, it goes well with warmer temperature, it goes yeah. well with, like, you could watch sports and drink that beer like nobody's business, so like, it feels like that should be a beer more readily available. It is, but we're also a bit spoiled. We've got New Zealand so close, yeah, and true. we've got, um, you know, some fantastic hops coming out of New Zealand yeah. and Tassie, so we are actually spoiled, and we've got some really good maltsters. Um, Locally, but also in New Zealand, that we can choose. We're actually spoilt for our ingredients, and having a, such a good food culture in Melbourne, at least, um, the food ingredients coming to beer now. You know, like the sort of beers that Hendo are brewing and and Brendan oh, are brewing. Drinking a uh, taco from two birds. Yeah, me got, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, we are we are we are overly spoilt for a fantastic ingredient. So it's so easy for us to. Um, to prove some way out beers and that's why it's nice to go back to the basics with a beer like a Mets and, and say okay let's just focus on the malt and um, put together a you know a, a well laid or well structured beer it's pretty hard to complain about being overspoiled, isn't it yeah it is yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> thanks a lot for joining me today mate no worries though have a good night Welcome back, everybody. I am in a uh, very loud room with Ian Morgan from Three Ravens. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. How did you enjoy Good yourself to tonight? Yeah, I enjoyed myself a lot. And um, for those of you who are taking this all in as a package, um, I'll point out that it's 10 to midnight when I'm interviewing. I think I'm the last brewer to be interviewed. Is that correct? Yeah, this is ra- wrapping up proceedings. That's right. Wrapping yeah. up proceedings. And there have been a few beers consumed between... Uh, I think we started about 6.30. Yeah, I think we're both just loosened up. That's all it is. It's a bit loosened up. Okay. So, like, effectively, this should be the best one. This should be the best one. I might divulge a bit too much or not enough. (laughs) I don't know. You can listen back to it in a couple of days and... And be embarrassed. (laughs) Okay, so, uh, take us through your your beer for the evening. Um, How did you come to the thought process of the... What was it? Cherrywood Smoked Porter? Cherrywood Smoked Porter. Um... I noticed, you know, talk, talk to some of the other brewers who were involved with it. Um, we're all pretty cozy um, there in the Victorian craft brewing, home brewing scene. And um, there's a lack of a dark beer amongst them all. So it was the depth of winter when we started this process. And I thought, what better to do than a dark smoked beer? And, and you were thinking um, a, a for dessert beer pairing initially. A dessert you? beer. Yeah. I might have been misled. I might be misremembering that conversation. But um, anyway, a dark beer. That was my brief. I was happy to accept it. Um, and thought I'd throw a bit of smoke in there as well. Um, start off as a base with a variation on the Holgate Temptress recipe, mm-hmm. one that I've been happy to uh, kind of help develop with Paul Yeah, Holgate for those that there. don't know, you brewed at Holgate uh, for a period when they were devising that recipe, is that right? That's right, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I knew it was, it was a good. You've made a lot of people happy with that particular beer. You know that. I'm glad you have done so. <laughs> um, made myself happy too. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so a good solid uh, recipe base there. Um, swapped out a fair amount of the pale malt bill with the with the smoked malt, and it just happened to have. Happen to happen. Uh, about the time. Almost that, midnight, yeah. Yeah, it's almost midnight. About the time that um, that Brees maltings started bringing in their cherrywood smoked malt and those lovely foil line bags, um, which retained a lot of the, um, the, the smoke character, the barbecue character of that malt. So, um, yeah, about 35% that Brees cherrywood into a robust porter malt bill, and voila. And it was yeah, it was really excellent beer as well, and uh, it got paired up with uh, it was a braised ox tongue and sort of like a roast barley little salad with hot mustard, and that was a great. I mean, the theme of all these chats tonight has been how good all the pairings were, but um, that was a particularly comfy and cozy pairing. I would have thought it was. It was a lovely pairing, really well paired. I mean. This, I've done a lot of uh, beer and food pairings over the years, and um, Brendan just nailed it tonight, the, the, the chef um, who uh, divides all the recipes there. Um, it was, yeah, just a fantastic menu, and he knows his beer, and he certainly knows his food. So to see those two things come together, it was, it was really good tonight. I've said it to the point tonight where it's boring for people to keep hearing me say how good the pairings were, but it really it was really outstanding. So, um, that was, yeah, it was a great night. So hopefully it's a template for other events to come, like, well, and, and other restaurants too. Like this is a double-headed chef. Um, it, it proves that you can have top shelf cuisine match with beer. Absolutely. And, and in Melbourne, we need to see more of that. And uh, you heard it here first. There could be a forthcoming Good Beer Week event featuring. Uh, yeah, scoop. <laughs> um, so, please, healthy sip of that beer there. Um, For every scoop, gets a drink. Exactly right. I. Um, so you came to Melbourne from Seattle, is that right? That's right. Back when, back in the day. Did I say that? Like the beer. Some of the some of the beer. Some of the music they're playing tonight. Um, yeah, it takes me back to. To Seattle in the grunge, yeah, tail end of the grunge era, yeah. I guess. I mean, Welcome to the Jungle is playing right now. Yeah, so, yeah. that is, it's, wow. Where's my headband? Where's my bandana? Um, no, it's, um, it's been a journey. What year did you come across? 2000. Truth I was, oh, right. I was okay. not on a boat, so I was not turned back. Um, I was on a plane, so they let me in. And I so, overstayed my visa. <laughs> but I got married to an Australian, and we learned to love each other and make our marriage listen to that. Sorry, if it, Tony Abbott's listening to this right now, <laughs> we actually were dating before I came here. And, and no, children. I, I mean, I don't know family. each listener individually, but I'm prepared to say that Tony Abbott's not listening. He's to not this. a big fan. I, would, I, did, I can't comment, but I'm just going by my gut instincts. He's probably not listening to this right now. Um, so if you came in 2000, you probably would have come across to a. 
relative wasteland of beer. I would say barren, but wasteland. barren yeah. wasteland. Those yeah, okay. things go together. Um, so I'm guessing that's what pushed you into homebrewing. Indeed, yeah. Um, I, I remember, you know, coming from uh, Seattle, and my local was a brew pub with. 12 different taps, and one was a nitro beer engine tap at any given time. Red, rye, all these things are kind of taken off now. Smoked beers, just par for the course. Um, and um, get here, and everyone's like, oh, American beer is shit. Here, have a VB. Wait a second here. Um, I was obviously not in touch with the right people because there were some yeah, excellent homebrews happening there at the time. There's some excellent breweries that were getting. They were standing up at the time, um, but yeah, as a relative naive in Richmond, um, I just had to make it myself. So what was the scene in Seattle like at that time? Because the old adage is that Australia is 10 years behind where America is, whether you take that to heart or not, whatever, but that's the sort of like approximate um, gap people throw around. So. That still is early, though, even for an American timeline, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a little group hub, uh, the big time group hub. I've got a little shout out. They're like my, it's the, it's the, it's the beer dreaming for me, the, the big time group hub in Seattle, if you're ever in the Northwest. Get up to Seattle University District. It's a great little joint. They're, they're very small, so they have a lot of um, room to experiment. But, look, um, it's been amazing to see how quickly Australia's, I say caught up, but caught up is No, fast. I think that's accurate. I think that is accurate, yeah. I think catching up is sort of what we've been trying to do. Um, that's not true, but it's been reshaping it. Like the, the way that um, Australian hop growers, barley growers are innovating. That's the, and, sorry, that's just why I think like um, the 10 year thing isn't accurate, but like catching up is accurate. If that's very fast and yeah, that's, that's sort of what I'm getting at. To surpass. Yeah. It's a different, it's a, it's a really different um, situation. I mean, we've got 10th the population of the US here, so much bigger challenges in terms of getting beer to market um, outside the capital areas. And uh, look, We've got a great beer scene in Melbourne, you go up to Sydney, it's all happening, Brisbane is taking off, WA's, not the other side of the world, is it really, but yeah, WA's. Yeah, relatively it is, yeah. yeah. Um, look, we're, we're punching above our weight here, so. So, um, on that line, with, with Three Ravens, how long have you been Three Ravens for now? Uh, I'll, I should have asked a longer question so you can have a better sip of your beer. But, uh, uh, about three months. Three months, okay. Um, so, how how national do you do you distribute into uh, Sydney? Okay. Uh, but we're now um, we're in partnership with Mash Brewing and WA. Okay. Oh, that's so, course. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mash is brewing some of our beers over there. We're doing some of their beers over here. You've got the Artist Nails series. Yeah. Yeah. The Copycat IPA, which won best beer overall at uh, the series. That's right. Yeah. Beer Wars. We're doing that out of Thornbury. So we're keeping pretty busy. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. We're nationwide. <laughs> we're bad. And that's good news for the three readers because uh, their future wasn't certain for a while, was it? It's secured now. We're, um, you know, we've, um, with Nash stepping in, we've got a nifty new bottling line, um, some new tanks that are on the water. Um, and yeah, we're growing. How much is that going to increase production? Yeah. 
to uh, easily double it. Oh wow, that's awesome. That's really good news. How, um, because you've been here for a while now, so how involved with the uh, ANHC have you been? Uh, tangentially. Oh right, okay. <laughs> um, it's always good to turn up for club night, and I encourage anyone out there listening, um, if you're not part of a brew club, if you just love good beer, look it up, get on the ANHC. Now, if you're interested in brewing good beer, you should get the full ticket and listen to all these good people have to say. But if you just want a good night out, club night is not to be beat anywhere in the country any time of year. So get a club night ticket, get the camera, and we will show you a good time. Again, this is like um, flogging a dead horse a little bit because I've probably this is probably the third time I've said it tonight. But I feel like this sort of conference or this sort of like series of events because it's what three days the conference is that right? I believe it's three days. Something yes. like that. Yeah, I, feel I like, will only be there for club night. I feel I feel like that there's huge room for growth there because not all the beer geeks that would really get behind good beer week events are getting behind this sort of thing but uh, I think people should be embracing it because it's good beer nights out and it's a good had. time yeah get up there get up the camera visit the Imaginarium and the zoo and the zoo and bet, uh, go um, paddling on Lake Burley Griffin my wife oh, is you've a native Canberra. You've been for Canberra. I'm a big fan. Canberra's got a lot to offer. You've got the William Penn. You've got Bent Spoke Brewery. Zierholz. I mean, what more can you ask for? That's true enough. So, uh, now that you're at the helm three months in Three Ravens, what's on the horizon besides the increased production? Increased production? Um, it's hard to top what Adrian's done there. I've got to give full props to McNulty. He has just championed through. He's taken the small brewery and produced massive award-winning beers out of it. Um, so we just want to carry on his legacy. Um, we got some barrels. We got a little pilot brew system. We're just going to keep making good That's beer. That's pretty exciting because... Uh, with the, with the barrel, I mean, somewhat relatable, but um, with the cask off at last year's Good Beer Week, uh, Luke, who I did the podcast show with, uh, thought that the Free Ravens beer at that particular event was standard of the whole week. So, uh, some pretty exciting stuff happening down there. We got some casting there, so they're sitting there, we should fill it. Uh, we're going to put that, uh, I think we're going to put the pilot system into more regular use, mm -hmm. do some more smaller runs, use the casks, use the barrels, get some more... What do you want to put in casks? What sort of barrels? Anything. Yeah, fair. that's good. Anything is better than an empty cask. <laughs> um, look, just if it's a short run of the English or black or dark recipes, anything. Um, I think we're ready for it. Yeah. I think we're ready for the cask beer, yeah. Just um, yeah, playground. Yeah, that's good fun. You've, um, yeah, I think you've joined at a good time. Good fun. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, this has been probably as long as any of the interviews tonight. So, 
if we're going to have a respectably timed show, we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining me. You're welcome. I hope you've enjoyed yourself tonight. I have enjoyed myself tonight. I Excellent. Turned you a pumpkin. <laughs> have a good one, mate. Cheers. Cheers.